0: I'm so glad you're here on this Vision Sunday. You know, the last time we did this, it was August of 2019. Can you remember back to where you were? A a lot of you weren't even at GFC at that time. We didn't even have an online service. I mean, times have really changed. I actually recently found a picture of myself back in 2019, and this is is what I looked like. (laughs) Yeah, hard to believe it. I wasn't even shaving, and, uh, you know, time has changed. (laughs) Let's walk back to 2019 because it's been so long. The elders had been meeting for months and wrestling uh, together. What is God calling our church to? And after that process, we put a new vision in front of the church. And this was the vision. Helping broken and vulnerable people find life in Christ. Now, vision, it's simply a picture of what could be, fueled by what should be, and that's what this is. This is a picture. And so, we put this in front of the church, and it was a very unique time, because little did we know that less than a year after we cast this vision, the world would fall apart, and a whole lot of brokenness and vulnerability would come up, but... As we've pursued this vision, by God's grace, he has done amazing things. I just want to share a few highlights. There was a Sunday where we let you know about an opportunity to give to a tangible need to people in Ukraine. And the invitation was to give that day before 4 p.m. And there was an outpouring of generosity. Over 400 bags of winter clothing and blankets were collected for the people of Ukraine. Uh, the past four years, I looked. We have had 234 people commence from regeneration. Regeneration is our 12-step recovery program centered around life in Christ. And 234 people commenced having completed the steps. Another highlight, two weeks ago, 21 people were baptized, going public with their faith, three on Saturday and 18 on Sunday morning, and we celebrated as their testimony, they shared how Jesus had saved them. So cool. What a Sunday. And, you know, all of these pictures and numbers, they're cool, but I I want us to hear a story because this is all about people, And I just want to share one story of someone who was impacted by what God did through GFC over the past few years. So take a look.
1: I was invited to GFC. Um, I wasn't in the best place in the world. But I was invited, and it took me a while to accept that invitation. Um, probably about a year, uh, a co-worker invited me, and you know he just told me it was a great atmosphere, very open arms, and it was good for the kids too. It wasn't long ago that I did struggle. Um, I had a lot of struggles with addiction, and um, I lost my husband at a very young age, um, and I had two little kids. so. Coming was was difficult. Um I had I was still very upset. I didn't understand um you know why I was going through the trials and tribulations that I was. Um ultimately walking into the building just uh, it was like a breath of fresh air. It's like I knew I was meant to be here and I really found the welcoming family that I was missing. Um everybody was so welcoming and it was literally felt i felt so accepted and from that day forward we've been here every sunday um the kids absolutely enjoy the children's programs um their faith them seeing me be baptized it strengthened their faith um in christ and and them seeing me uh, following christ and knowing that you can be forgiven um, and that you are forgiven, and that, you know, He did send His one and only Son here for us. Broken people are loved too. And you can be who you are, and God's still gonna love you. And this church is gonna let you know that.
0: Isn't that awesome? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> You see, the the reason that the numbers matter, whenever we talk about people who've commenced from Regen or baptism or any other ministry, the reason the numbers matter is because they represent people. And there are hundreds of people over the past four years, maybe some of you in this room today, that your life has been changed by what God did through Grace Fellowship Church. And so we celebrate that today. But while God has worked in tremendous ways we can't rest on that we can't stop seeking to be faithful with the mission he's given us if you've been here over the past two months we've been looking at the seven letters that jesus wrote to the churches in revelation two and three seven specific faith communities that jesus writes to and says i know your deeds and i commend you for these things and i critique you for these other things If Jesus wrote GFC a letter, what would he say? What would Jesus say to us? I asked our elders that question this past spring. I gave them a homework assignment. Each of them had to try to imagine that. And I pulled those together and kind of synthesized them. And I want to share with you my summary of what we felt like Jesus would say to Grace Fellowship Church right now. To the church at Grace Fellowship, I commend your value of my word, your heart for your community, and your emphasis on my grace. Yet, I have this against you. It is easy to drift into becoming stagnant, to see yourselves as consumers, not participants in the mission. Don't confuse knowing about me with knowing me and extending my grace to others. Now, to be clear, this is not actually from Jesus. (laughs) It was funny, one of our elders, he joked, he said, you know, I feel like God is looking at us writing these letters like we look at a 10 year old writing a really deep poem. You know, it's kinda like, hey, good try but we did feel like this is what the Spirit of God was impressing on our hearts for this season. And the reason why it matters that we not just be consumers, but participants in the mission, the reason why it matters is because of people. Again, as you look around right now, this moment, you know, in our church, but even beyond our local community in our country, what do you see? What do you see? Here's some of what I see. When When I look around, I see some people feeling stuck in their faith, going through the motions, no zeal, no heart. I see some people who are gripped with a chronic anxiety about the state of our country, and it's distracting them from joy and peace that God offers. I see kids and students trying to make sense of God and faith in a world that's been turned completely upside down over the past few years. I see people with one foot out the door of evangelicalism and they're saying either this just doesn't feel real to me or hey, I've seen what this is about and no thanks. i people right now leveled by broken bodies, broken relationships, and the choices of family members that they can't do anything about. And I see people walking deeply with Jesus, struggling, but struggling well and seeking to know him more. Some of what I see. But you know what all those people have in common? They need Christ. You see, we're not done And if we're going to be faithful to what God has called us to, we need to remind ourselves, where are we going? And so today, I want to put before you two changes that we are making to the vision statement here at GFC. And these are small changes, but they are really significant changes. And they describe the kind of church that we want to be. But before we get there, I'm going to keep you in suspense And while you're waiting, I want to put an idea before you, and I really believe that this idea, it can change the way we think about church, it can change the way we think about the mission of Jesus. This is such a powerful concept. Now, there are two types of groups or sets to which someone or something can belong to, okay? There are bounded sets, and there are centered sets, Now, bounded sets, membership is determined by compliance with the boundaries. So, bounded set, you have specific boundaries and you've got to be in. You've got to meet the expectations. So, think about a country club or a gym or an HOA, Homeowners Association. I mean, if you're in an HOA and you pay your dues every month, you don't turn your yard into a dog park... And you're not a total jerk to your neighbors. You're in. You get to stay in the HOA. So, you know, in a bounded set, lots of people are in. And then the people who have not complied, they're out. And a centered set is different. Because in a centered set, membership is determined by your relationship to the center. So, think about an Australian ranch. Never seen this firsthand, but I've heard that it's way too big for fences. So what do they do? They dig a well. And as you can imagine, all the the animals, they kind of don't move too far from the well, right? So in a centered set, the emphasis is what? What's the emphasis? It's the center. And in a bounded set, the emphasis, it's the boundaries, because you got to know if you're in or out. That's a big deal. Now, let me ask you this. In the context of the church, because the church is a group of people, right? Grace Fellowship Church, we are a group of people. Is the church a bounded set or a centered set? And the truth is, it can be either. In a, a bounded set church, you belong If you comply with all the boundaries, and these are different, you know, the fences, this is different depending on the church you're in, but some of you have been in churches like this. You have to attend, you have to give, you have to agree with everything, perhaps. Don't smoke, don't dance, even. Or you can't be in, right? Somebody on our staff, they said growing up, the rule at their church was, don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do. So that's very clear, (laughs) You're in or out. Now, let me ask you this, and I really want you to think about this. What does this kind of a church produce? Well, three things. It produces legalism. Why? Because you have to do the right things to be accepted. Your acceptance is at stake. It it also produces judgment. Because very clearly, some people are in and some people are out. And it it also produces apathy. Why apathy? Because if you've met the expectations, you're good. I mean, if you just get across the fence and you're right here, you're good. How many of you have been in a church like that? Any of us have. A centered set church is different. Again, in a centered set church, membership is defined by what? By relationship to the center. And the center is Christ. So in a centered set church, this is so important, you can belong before you behave. In fact... You can belong before you even believe. I mean, think about Jesus and the disciples. He didn't give them an entrance exam. They would have flunked it. He actually said, come follow me. He didn't even ask them, who do you say I am for a year and a half? It was a centered set. Now, are you saying, quickly, let me kind of answer this question, Matt. Are you saying that in a centered set church, beliefs don't matter? What I believe doesn't matter. No. Your beliefs matter. And in a centered set church, what you believe and how you behave, all of that is confronted by Christ as you move towards the center. You see, in a centered set church, there is movement. People are moving Now, this is not the same, I'll I'll put a third one up here, as a centerless set, where the focus in a centerless set is inclusivity, but there's no center. That is not what this is. There is a center, but that's the emphasis, not artificial boundaries. Now, what does this kind of a church, what does this produce, this way of doing church? Well, three things. It produces humility because nobody is at the center. The most godly person you know, they have have not arrived. It, It also produces mission. Why? Because everybody needs what Jesus has to offer everybody, not just outsiders, but all of us. You see, it's very hard to be stagnant in a truly centered set church. And thirdly, unity. Not uniformity, which is what this kind of approach tends to produce. Again, everybody looks the same way, they act the same way, they believe the same way. But unity, why? Because we all have the same center, and it's Christ, Now, the early church, the very first followers of Jesus, how did they do church? How did they approach it? It was centered set, radically centered set. I mean, the church was the first inclusive community in history. There was nothing like it. They broke racial and gender and socioeconomic barriers. Do you know the first three converts in Philippi? The first three converts to Christianity. Lydia, a wealthy businesswoman, the jailer, okay, Philippian jailer, I don't know him. He a blue-collar guy, probably hardened by his time in the jail, and then a demon-possessed girl. Picture those three people around a table talking church strategy. There was nothing like it. I mean, those people would never even be seen together. And the disciples were the same way. I mean, we miss stuff like this, but the disciples... Peter and a bunch of the guys, they were fishermen, blue-collar guys. Matthew was a wealthy tax collector. He worked for the Roman occupation, the bad guys. And you know who, who else was in the 12 disciples? Simon the Zealot. And you know what zealots did? Their whole goal, their passion in life was to kill people like Matthew. Do you have any idea how awkward that must have been? They hated each other. But their differences demonstrate the unifying power of Jesus. Why? Because this only works if what you have in common is more important than what's different. It's the only way. But it's not just that the early church was inclusive and diverse. The early church... They were committed to movement. Again, moving towards the center. It's why Paul says things like in Galatians. He talks about Christ being formed in you. In Philippians, he says, work out your salvation. There's this labor, there's this effort that I put into my life. Why? So I can move closer to Jesus. Now, as you think about this, here's a question I wanna ask you. What kind of a church do you wanna be? How about this question? What kind of a church does our world need right now? Does our city need? And as you think about that, I want to look at a story of how these ideas get fleshed out in the person of Jesus. So in John chapter 4, feel free to turn there if you'd like. John 4, Jesus, he meets an outsider. I'm going to start in verse 1. Jesus came to a town in Samaria. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. She she came alone to the well at the hottest time of the day. Why in the world would you do that? She is coming alone, and at that time, because she is a moral outcast. And we're going to see why in just a minute. But the other women did not want to draw water with her, and I'm guessing she did not want to draw water with them. Verse 7, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. That phrase puts it kindly, Jews hated Samaritans. And I want you to notice this woman, she assumes that Jesus is going to relate to her this way. She says, I'm a Jew, or you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. You're inside the box, and I'm out here. You're an insider, I'm an outsider. You're a moral teacher, and I'm a moral failure. This is not how Jesus relates to this woman. Look at the text. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water Now, we we don't understand how big of a deal a well was because we don't live in an ancient, arid culture where water was life. Literally, the difference between life and death was water. But Jesus is not talking about physical water. He's talking about spiritual life. Jesus, he answered her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give... Them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So fascinating. Jesus does not point her to her lack of good choices, He doesn't point her to a code of conduct, even a different sexual ethic. What does Jesus do? He points her to Himself. Why? Because that's the only place life is found. And it's fascinating to think about it in this way. Jesus, with this woman, he doesn't doesn't emphasize the boundaries. What What does he do? He invites her to come towards the center, the well. He doesn't build fences, he points her to the spring of living water. And she's still not getting it. None of us would have either. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Can you hear the desperation in her voice? I can. Jesus, I don't want to keep coming alone and doing this. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. Now, they were talking about water and and now Jesus says, hey, go call your husband. Isn't Isn't that weird? Hasn't Jesus changed the subject? But the answer is no. He hasn't. This woman was a serial adulteress. She went from man to man to man. Why? Because her soul was parched. You know, the, the soul is chronically thirsty. It's why in the Old Testament, the, the, the word for soul is the word nephesh in Hebrew, and it's continually referenced as desiring or longing. It's why that word, nephesh is actually translated sometimes in our Bibles as stomach or mouth The soul is chronically thirsty. And Jesus, again, he knows that ultimately this woman's thirst and our thirst today, it can only be satisfied in himself. Why? Because Christ is life. Hear this today. Life is not found in a moral checklist or a theological system, or even in a plan of salvation. Salvation is not a plan, it's a person. The crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God, he is life, and he knows there's no other source. Woman, she responds, she says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks." The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Did you know this is the only time outside of his trial that Jesus identifies himself as the Messiah? Normally when people ask him, the Pharisees, religious leaders, they say, are you the Messiah? Are you or aren't you? Jesus will say something mysterious, some, you know, he'd be like, you know, the acorns fall from the tree and roll down the hill, and when you find them, look inside and you'll see, you know, and they're always like, ah, because they just want to know. And he never tells them. But he does hear. And Jesus does not reveal himself as the Messiah. To an upright, moral Jew, Pharisee. I mean, the, the chapter before this, Jesus is with Nicodemus. He was everything right, he was everything you wanted to be. And Jesus doesn't say he's the Messiah. He reveals himself to a broken, immoral Samaritan woman and has the longest one on one conversation recorded in the whole book of John. What does that say about the heart of God? What does that say? And Jesus, having this conversation with her, telling her who he is, it changes her life. I want you to look. It says, then leaving the water jar, her water jar, the woman, she went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah I want you to notice that this woman's view of Jesus grows as she experiences him. For verse nine, she calls him a Jew. Verse 11, she says, sir. Verse 19, prophet. And verse 29, Messiah. As she spends time with him, her view of him grows. And that's true of us too. The people among us today in our church who have the most elevated view of Christ are those who know him and have walked with him the longest. But I also want you to notice that this woman's natural response after she had this experience, it was to go and share with everybody she knew. She didn't need a pep talk. It's not like Jesus said, hey, you know what? I'm really trying to build my brand, and could you go into town and just talk about me just a little bit? She didn't, she didn't need any encouragement. Why? Because she was motivated. Because here's what's true in a centered set. As we draw closer to the center, to Christ, we will find ourselves extending his grace to other people and saying, come see, come see. And the inverse is true also, that as we say to others, hey, come and see, and we extend God's grace, we'll find ourselves moving, moving closer to the center. I want you to look what happens in this town. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She didn't get her life cleaned up and then God decided to use her. As far as we know, she hasn't even broken up with the man she's living with. And yet God uses this woman's testimony to create a mini revival in her town. Isn't that unbelievable? I mean, just consider in 200 years... Almost all of us, maybe all of us, will be forgotten. This woman's legacy will never, ever be forgotten. Why? Because of how in her brokenness she experienced the grace of Jesus and how it moved and compelled her to invite others to experience it also. And I asked you a moment ago, what kind of a church do you want to be a part of? This is the kind of church I want to be a part of where this happens. Let me bring us back our our previous vision statement. Helping broken and vulnerable people find life in Christ. We're changing a word. We're allowed to do that. Um, we're, We're replacing the word find. Why? Because when we say we want to help people find Life in Christ, it can feel like once we've found it, good, we're done. And we've never taught that. But the statement itself leans that way. And so we want to change that word to experience. We want broken and vulnerable people to experience life in Christ. You know, A.W. Tozer, he says that most Christians have substituted Theological ideas for an arresting encounter. What a phrase. Now, theology is important. Belief is important. But knowing God, knowing Christ, is about more than just believing. It's about experiencing him relationally. And see, this word, experiences, takes us out of our heads. Jesus doesn't want us just to accumulate facts He wants us to grow deeper in our experience of him. And you know what this word also does? It pulls all of us under the same tent. Because we all need this, don't we? None of us have arrived. And the other change we're going to make is we're going to remove a word. And we're getting rid of the word helping. And so now the statement, experience, becomes experiencing. The statement is Broken and vulnerable people experiencing life in Christ. Broken and vulnerable people experiencing life in Christ. We're all broken and vulnerable, and we talk about that, but removing that word, it just makes it more clear. We are all broken. Every one of us. Including me. I mean, you know, if you want a church without a broken pastor, this isn't the right church for you. I, I feel broken and vulnerable. We all need life in Christ. So these two changes, again, they're small, but here's the shift it's not them, it's us. And it's not I've arrived, it's I'm on the journey. And we are on the journey together. We. And so what does this mean for us as a community of faith, as a body of believers here at Grace Fellowship Church? I'm gonna talk about a few ways that this vision is gonna get played out. First, we want to be a church where everybody is welcome, truly. Let me ask you a question. Would the woman at the well feel comfortable and welcome here? Would she feel welcome? I know this, the disciples were uncomfortable with Jesus talking to her. And if we're honest, there are probably types of people we would feel uncomfortable with being in our church. And the reason why we want to be a church like that is because we want people to see and experience Jesus. This is why we have not been and will not be a church that plants flags on political or social issues. And it's not that we are afraid of offending people. It's missional because we don't want to put any unnecessary barriers between people and Christ. And if we are a church that is truly moving towards the center, Jesus is going to offend us (laughs) I mean, are you kidding? The Sermon on the Mount, what we're gonna be teaching this fall at GFC, God is gonna mess with us. But what we want as a church is for him through his word to do that. Not us put up unnecessary barriers for people. I heard of a church in Nashville who had a greeting, and I heard this a couple years ago, and it just resonated so deeply with me. And I think it expresses what I'm talking about. It expresses John 4 and the centered set idea they they began their worship service by saying this. They said, to all who are weary and in need of rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel lost and worthless and wonder if God even cares, to all who fall and desire strength, to all who sin and need a savior, and to whoever else will come. This church opens wide her doors And offers welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The friend of sinners. The lover of his enemies. The defender of the weak. And the justifier of those who have no excuses left. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. We want to be a place, a community where everyone's welcome. And at the same time, hear me. We want to be a church that fearlessly invites people to move towards the center, to align their entire life with the person of Jesus. And it's why beginning next Sunday, we're going to teach through the book of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, it's essentially Paul writing to a church about what it means to put Christ at the center. In a culture, by the way, that's a whole lot like ours in Corinth. And then after that series, we are gonna begin a long journey through the book of Luke. We've never taught Luke deeply here at GFC and it's a unique account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. There's an emphasis on outsiders, on discipleship and prayer. And when I say long, I mean long. We're gonna be in Luke for about a year and a half with some breaks in there. But the whole point of it is everything we're talking about today We want to be a people that are experiencing life in Christ, and we're going to follow and learn as He challenges us, as we see His heart. Another way this vision is going to get worked out is we want to be a church that continually continues to invite people to live in authentic community. Well, we're gonna continue to emphasize groups here, C.S. Lewis, he says, Christ works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. And if we are gonna be a people who are experiencing life in Christ, it is vital that we be in community. And then lastly, it's on my heart to share with you today, we wanna be a church that prays. There are several small groups of of folks who gather to pray, and some of you are so faithful, but I have been convicted that overall, we are not a people of prayer, not corporately, and I believe we are poised for something special as a church, and I know some of you feel that way, and, and we can sense something's happening But the only way any of this happens, that people actually experience life in Christ, the only way it happens is if the Holy Spirit blows on this church. If God works in and through broken people like us. And so let's ask him to. Let's express our dependence by praying for our church, for our community. And so that's gonna be an emphasis this year. We're gonna have several prayer gatherings and the first one's gonna be August 15th. And we're just coming together to pray. We just wanna pray as a church and I hope you'll join us for that. So those are some of the reasons or some of the ways that the vision is gonna get worked out. And you're gonna hear a lot more in the future but I just wanna say this and I'm gonna be so clear today. This vision, broken and vulnerable people experiencing life in Christ, we want you to be a part of it. Young families and old families Seniors and singles, men, women, students, young adults, students, we need you. This is about all of us. And I just want to be so clear today. I want, we want you to be a part of what God's doing here, to come and be a part of the gathered body of Christ here on Sundays to to worship, to learn from God through his word, to connect, to to be in relationship with other believers, be a part of a group or another relational environment, and to engage the vision by serving, by giving financially, and and really by letting Christ form you and, and allow you to be a conduit of his love and grace to other people outside the walls. This is not about a church program. This is about the kind of people that we wanna be. In everything I share, it all comes back, again, to this, broken and vulnerable people experiencing life in Christ. This is what we wanna be about. And so as we end today, I don't know where you are right now, but I want you to hear two things from me. One, Jesus loves broken and vulnerable people. So, you know, I don't know where you are. Whatever type or degree of brokenness you're experiencing in your life, first I want to say welcome. You know, Welcome to the party. You're in the right place. But more importantly, I want you to know Jesus loves you. And not when you get it cleaned up. He loves you right now. And secondly, Jesus invites broken and vulnerable people to share his love with others, just like the woman at the well. You know, where are you today? So, some of us think about the well picture. Some, some of us today are not at the well, but you know, you're in town and you've heard people talk about this Jesus guy and you're, you're not sure about who he is. So, some of us are maybe at the well, but we, we haven't experienced life in Jesus yet. We're just kind of there and we're trying to figure out is Jesus for real? Uh, others of us have experienced life in Christ, living water. But we're still just kind of hanging out you know, at the well. Our, our spiritual life is really about me and Jesus, and then others of us, and you know who these people are, other, others of us, they have left their water jar because they understand that life in Christ comes to us on its way to someone else. And so they're going and saying, come see, come see. But w- wherever you are today, again, I just want you to know this is so important. Christ is life. Christ is life. He is what you need what you long for. And if you experience the life that he offers, it'll change you. And you'll find yourself a part of a way big, bigger story than yourself. The story of other people coming and experiencing life in him. May it be so of our church. Will you pray with me? And with your heads bowed, let me just give you just a moment. I asked you the question, where are you? Just think about that. Where am I? And, and what might God be wanting to say to you right now? And just, just be still and quiet and then respond to God as honestly as you can. God, thank you that you love broken and vulnerable people, people like us. God, I I pray that as a church, you would help us to have your heart to care about what you care about. Spirit, help us. God, we just acknowledge our dependence upon you as a community of faith. and we, We ask, God, we even... Plead that you would come and use us and have your way with us. Help us to be a part of a bigger story. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.